as we gather for worship this evening in anticipation of the Lord of the coming Lord's Day when we have the privilege of remembering our our Lord's suffering and death. We hear our Lord's call to worship tonight from Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Please turn with me in the scriptures to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49, and we will read the first 12 verses. This is the second of the four servant songs in the prophecy of Isaiah. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people from afar. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. And in the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. And he said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught, and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord. And with my, and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant to Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered yet, shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord? And my God shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, in a day of salvation have I, have I helped thee. And I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritage, heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth, and to them that are in darkness, show yourselves, and they shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in, high, in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst. Neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them, for he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And he will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west 
and these from the land of Sinem. So far the reading of God's holy and instructive and fallible word. Dear church family, Isaiah, as he as he's coming to his people, as he's proclaiming the word of the Lord, he he reminds uh, them and us that they live, we live in a world where there is there is upheaval, there's sickness, there's darkness, there's wickedness. We we were reminded of that at the beginning or the end of chapter forty one on Sunday evening when Isaiah says, "Behold." They are all vanity, referring to the idol gods. And the end of chapter 48, he ends with this statement. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. And so then one one may ask, well, where is peace found? Can peace be known? And even in the statement that we have at the end of chapter 48, it's conditional. There's no peace to the wicked. But then the question is, how can we be made righteous? How can we be made righteous? And maybe that was the question of the people that heard Isaiah's prophecy. Where is righteousness to be found? And immediately, as he transitions to chapter 49, we hear this command, another command. Last week was, or last Sunday evening was, Behold the servant of the Lord. The interjection there, and now hear a command, Listen, listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people, from afar. It's a call to listen. And who's speaking here? Who is the me that is addressing, who is saying, listen, hearken? It's none other than whom the Lord called my servant, the one we were called to behold on Sunday evening. Behold my servant, Now the servant comes and says, listen to me. Hearken to my words. We know that it's the servant as as he is speaking, as he begins to recollect what the Lord has done for him. The Lord has called me from the womb. He has made my mouth sharp. He has said unto me, verse 3, he has said unto me, thou art my servant. It's the servant of the Lord that speaks to us tonight. Listen to me. Hearken. He calls the people of Israel, he calls us to pay attention. And this is a, this, this command to listen comes to all people. This isn't an optional, if you feel like it or not. Listen to me, O isles, and you people from afar. This goes to the ends of the earth, a call to pay attention and behold the, the servant as he speaks to us. And what does he want us to hear? 
It calls us to stop, to pay attention, to behold, to hear who he is as the servant of the Lord. From his own mouth. To understand what a, what a blessed people are those who are delivered by him. And we want to look at these two thoughts tonight briefly as we consider the servant, the deliverer of Israel. And we want to look at his person in the first place. What does he say about himself? And then his people, those whom he redeems. You will recall from Sunday evening as we heard the Lord describe his servant in Isaiah 42 that he was one who was chosen, he was equipped, he was, he was to be a humble servant, a gracious servant, but a servant who was eminently successful. He would accomplish the mission that he was called to. We'll remember that he had been selected for this mission because he was the one who had met the, the righteous standard of the Lord for this mission. He was very God, and he was a real human being. And it's this latter aspect of our Lord Jesus Christ becoming a real human being that the servant draws our attention to tonight, that that our Lord Jesus draws attention to in this servant song in Isaiah 49. He was a real human being, in all of its physicality, its rationality, its weakness, its pain, its need, the desires for relationship and purpose. The servant was a real human being from conception. Listen to what he says in verse 1. The Lord called me from the womb. He, he grew in the womb like every other baby does. And the Lord made mention of me, he says. He made my mouth to be like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand hath he hid me. He made me as polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me. The servant confesses like the psalmist does that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. My substance was not hid from him. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eye did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. The Lord, our Father, saw the Lord Jesus being knit together in, in Mary's womb. He knew all about his servant from the moment of conception. The servant acknowledges that even his mouth was made by the Lord. A mouth that was made for a particular purpose. A mouth that would be the central and and primary means of completing his mission in the hearts and lives of sinners to deliver people as he spoke words of comfort and peace, calling to repentance and faith. His words were powerful to save. And even this evening, those words are still powerful. They're still powerful to draw sinners like you and I 
If we're still in darkness, out of darkness. They're still powerful to remove the blind eyes. They're powerful to encourage a, a weak, struggling Christian, maybe caught up in doubt. Is it really real? Has the Lord begun in my heart? They're words that are powerful to admonish a backsliding child of God. To call you back to repentance. To come back to your first love. They're words that are are going to be used to equip and to build up the, the people of God. Conforming them into the image of Jesus Christ. He was a servant that was made. He was created. He was formed in his mother's womb. He was a servant that was known by the Lord. He was not hid from the Lord, but the Lord hid him and protected him. He hid him in the shadow of his hand and in his quiver. Every moment of every day, the servant was in the care of his heavenly father. From the moment he was conceived to the moment he breathed his last, last breath on the cross and even in the grave. And he rose. His father was over watching, was watching over him. He was hid under his father's hand in the shadow of his father's hand. Nothing, nothing could stop him from completing his work. And, and the servant confesses this. That he was hid. And as a, as, a, as a real human being, Jesus needed, he needed to know that he had his Father's protection. He desired to be under the care of his Heavenly Father. How many times don't we see him go out and pray to his Father? Set aside, aside times of fellowship and communion, intimate communion, with his father. No one, no one was going to get before to him before that appointed hour of salvation that Isaiah refers to later on in this song. Many tried. Throughout history, throughout the history of the world, there were attempts leading up to his birth to prevent the Son of God coming. Children, you can think of Esther and Dame, or Haman's uh, intention to get rid of the Jews and how the Lord intervened as he raised up Esther into the position of queen to use her influence to save the Jews. We can think of even after Jesus' birth, how Herod attempted to eliminate Christ or the Pharisees on multiple occasions sought to take him, but they could not because his time was not yet come. And Satan himself, as Jesus entered the world, tempted him to, to, forsake, to forsake all and to bow before him. No one could get to him. He was in his father's hand of protection. And he acknowledges that in this song. 
But not only did his father, the Lord, hide his servant under the shadow of his hand in preserving and sustaining him, but the Lord would be glorified by his servant. And the servant knew this. And doesn't Jesus speak of this in his prayer in John 17? Jesus knew that what he was going to do was going to bring glory to his father, to his Lord. He knew that in his coming as a human being, he was to, to glorify God and to, to, as Paul describes in Ephesians 1, that all that the Father was doing, all that God was doing in the salvation of sinners was for the glory of his marvelous grace. The servant recognized what his mission was. He recognized that his father would be caring for him, would be protecting him, would be upholding him. He knew that his father would get the glory through his work. And yet, as a real human being, he recognized that the mission that he was being called to in his humanity was hard was challenging, was difficult, to the point that it seemed like to him that his labor was in vain. That's what the servant says in verse 4. Let's read verse 4. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. This is hard to, this is hard to wrap our minds around as, as human beings. For we, we considered even from the first song that the servant would be, would be and was eminently successful. And isn't the supper that we hope to celebrate and remember on, on the Lord's Day, isn't it a testimony to the fact that he was successful in completing his mission? And yet, as, as a, as a human being, as a servant of the Lord, he says, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength. I poured out my strength for nothing. In futility I have struggled, he says. This is not, says one commentator, a thought of unbelief, but is simply a genuine modesty born from a consciousness of one's own weakness. Christ in his humanity was a real human being. And as he, as he set aside his glory, as Paul describes for us in Romans or Philippians chapter 2, he experienced weakness. He experienced the frailty of the human condition so that he could be the suitable savior for sinners. As Hebrews 2 verses 16 to 18 tells us, for verily he, Jesus, took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. Why? To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or help them who are tempted or tried. Jesus in his humanity understood what it was to be a real human being. He, he suffered in body, mind, and soul. He knew what it was to be in his body, to be hungry, to be tired, to be in pain, especially in those last days of his life. 
In his mind, he knew what it was to be forsaken, to be abandoned by family and friends, to be rejected, to be ridiculed. He knew what it was to long for companionship and fellowship. In his soul, he knew what it was to be tempted by the devil, to be falsely accused by the religious leaders. He knew what it was like to be disrupted in times of prayer, and all of this, all of these, this suffering in soul, mind, and, and, and body culminated in, the, in those last days of his life. Where at Gethsemane, you remember him going into the garden and he says, will you not watch with me to his disciples? Watch and pray. And they couldn't. They fell asleep where he was tormented in soul as he prayed to his heavenly Father, as he, as he sweat those great drops of blood. And then at Gabbatha, where the sinless Son of God, the one who, who was perfect, who was innocent, who had never, ever once sinned in thought, word, or deed, was falsely accused and He remained silent, forsaken by his disciples as they fled, as they denied him. And then at Golgotha, where he experienced the tremendous pain as those nails were hammered home. And as that cross was lifted up and dropped into that hole, as he struggled for every breath, as he was mocked by those who were passing by, if he saved others, could he not save himself? As he entered into those moments, those hours of absolute darkness, and the great agony of his soul and heart as he was forsaken by his heavenly Father, and he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the midst of all this, in his human nature, the servant says, Have I labored in vain? Have I spent my strength for naught? Overwhelmed by weakness, suffering, the servant the Lord of the Lord calls out to his Father in this song. Demonstrates the true humanity of our Lord. But in the weakness of his humanity and the frailty, we also see him trust, trust in the Lord. He says, Yet, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. He casts himself on his Lord, his God, even when it seems that he has, he has been forsaken. Did he not do this on the cross, even in the moments of moments after his dear, dear election cry, as he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. 
He entrusts himself into his father's hands. Despite his weakness, despite his fears, he could also endure all this because he knew the joy that was set before him. And friend, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember this. We remember who our Lord Jesus became as he took on human flesh. He became a real human being. He suffered immensely. He had his body broken and he shed his blood so that sinners like us can come to him for forgiveness of sins. And friend, if you know something of that, he calls you this coming Lord's Day to listen to him again and remember his suffering and his death. Because Jesus did all this so that he could procure to himself a people. And not just a people from Israel, but a people from every tribe and nation, from, from, from afar. In verse 6 we read, Would it have been a light thing or a trivial thing for my servant to have raised up from up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved, the remnant of Israel? No. He did this so that he could be not just the savior of Jews, but of Gentiles and Jews, so that he could show the Lord's salvation to the, to the whole earth. So that he could be the savior, the redeemer, the deliverer of people who, from every tribe and nation, who despise and abhor him. So that he could be the one who gathered in prisoners from their, in, in prison, bound to their sin and misery. That he could bring in those who were caught up in darkness and bring them to the light. That he could find those who were lost and bring them home, who, who had no hope in this world, who had no peace. That he could find dead, drifting, disobedient sinners to gather them in. But not just to gather them in, but to give them life everlasting life, to be the Redeemer, the one who rescued them, who paid that price as he hung on the cross, making them a people, a people who, uh, uh, sinners who were not a people before, restoring them into relationship with him so that they would be the people of God, a peculiar people, a precious people, a chosen people. So that instead of abhorring and worshiping, uh, instead of abhorring, abhorring him and despising him, they now fell down and worship him. And friend, where are you? Are you one who still abhors and despises the Lord, the servant? Or have your eyes been opened to see him, to behold him in his glory and his beauty? Have you come to see your sin for what it is? It's ugliness. It's being detestable in his sight. And then in contrast to your sin, to see him in all his beauty, his glory, his majesty. To see your great need to have those sins washed and cleansed. And to find out that 
that washing and cleansing comes from him through his precious blood, the one who shows mercy. Friend, if they've been opened, if you've been set free, even if, there, even if you still see the darkness, the ugliness of, of your own, of the sin that is still present so often in our lives, hear, hear the, the voice of the servant as the Lord uh, calls out to the prisoners in verse 9. He says to the prisoners, go forth. Go forth. And, and those two are in darkness. He says, show yourself. Reveal yourself. Go out from the darkness and sit in the presence of the light. Go out and show yourself. Reveal yourselves. Show that you have been set free, redeemed by the servant. Reveal, testify what he has done for your soul. Show that you cannot live without him. That he is your all and in all. That he is your Savior, the one who has delivered and washed you. But maybe you're, maybe you're a prisoner to your, to the doubts of your mind. Maybe it's the opinions of men that hold you in place. Maybe it's what others think about, would might think about you if you reveal yourself that you are one of his. Maybe it's fears of presuming grace. The Lord says this coming Sunday, friend, if you know something of his mercy and grace in your life, if you've seen the light of his grace, he says, go forth, show yourself. For it is to such, it is to such people that the servant of the Lord promises to feed and to uphold as a shepherd we get this shepherd imagery in verses 9 and 10, demonstrating that he's the good shepherd. He says, they shall feed in the ways. Their pasture shall be in the high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst. Neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. They shall be led by him who, have shown, who has shown mercy on them. They shall be guided, led to springs of water on paths that have been prepared and established. Guided by his word and spirit. When we're in him, when we've been set free, when we've been able to see who he is and his glory, he promises to feed and nourish, to lead, even, even through mountainous ways but nonetheless ways that he has made and highways that he is a, a highway that he has exalted. So friend, if you know something, he calls you to come and show yourself, to feed richly on at the supper of the Lord, to, to feed on him. Listen. Listen to the servant of the Lord, to his call. Go forth. Show yourself. Come, come and remember his humanity, his suffering and death. Come and commune with him. Come and be satisfied and strengthened in your faith. 
and as you see that broken bread before you, know that Christ had his body broken. And as you see that wine poured out, and as you drink it, know that his blood has been shed for the forgiveness of sins. Come and feed on him, knowing that he has prepared a table for his people. Even in the presence of enemies. And friend, come and drink. And as you do, he says you will never be hungry or thirsty. You will not be overcome by the troubles and challenges because you have a faithful servant, a faithful shepherd. And as a good shepherd, he will, as he has promised, in Psalm 23, as it so beautifully lays it out, lead us into green pastures and beside still waters, into paths of righteousness that he has secured. And he doesn't just lead and guide us, but he, he is with us in the, the, the darkest valleys. We don't have to fear because he has established our going. In the care of this servant, this servant who is a real human being, but very God. We have one who not only is able to make reconciliation for the sins of his people, who can bring peace into our lives, but we have one who, as Hebrews tells us at the end of chapter 2, is able to help us in our needs. Friend, have you been delivered by the servant? Have you been made one of his people? And he calls you this coming Lord's Day to go forth, show yourself, feed in the way, and you won't be hungry or thirsty. You shall not be smitten by the heat or the sun, for his mercy will lead his own. And that's our confidence, that the Lord will continue to lead his own today, next Lord's Day, and forever. And he promises to guide them to springs of water, to everlasting water, namely to himself. Amen. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that thou art the most excellent Savior, deliverer of thy people. The fact that thou art a real human being, And very God. And Lord, in thy humanity, thou didst know it to its core, what it was to be a human being without sin. Lord Jesus, we are thankful. We are thankful that thou hast come into this world, that thou hast suffered and died, that thou hast shed thy thy blood, had thy body broken so that thou couldst not only save a people, redeeming them, 
Madao has promised to care for them and uphold them and feed them and lead them and guide them and minister to them, protect them and care for them, and bring them to springs of water. O oh Lord, feed us this coming Lord's Day. Enliven our hearts and our minds that we would serve thee with zeal and joy. So go before us. We pray this all in Christ's powerful and sovereign name. Amen.